Amen. If you got your Bibles, would you open them with me to the book of Jonah? If the person next to you finds it really fast, don't be intimidated. They put a bookmark in there last Sunday. Don't let them fool you. <laughs> Jonah chapter 2. Last week we began a series here looking at the life of this man Jonah as his, his own book records. And today we're going to jump into the second chapter. And I just believe that God wants to speak to our hearts today from this text. Uh, I'm not, I don't have a clever outline or, or any points that rhyme or start with the same letter. I just want to share the word with you today. I just want to read the word and share the word. And as you're finding your place in Jonah again today, the way that we did last Sunday, I want us to all stand with our Bibles. If you want to uh, read off the screen, you can, or if you want to borrow a Bible that's there in the pew backs, that would be fine. But I want us to just begin together and follow along with me. I want to read Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. You go, man, this is going to take a while. Don't worry, it's only 10 verses. <laughs> Did you find it yet? All right. It says in Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now I just got to stop and say, that's got to be one of the weirdest verses in all the Bible. Like, could you imagine if you, if you didn't know the story, and you just were playing Bible roulette one day and decided, you know, to just pick up and read, God, give me a word today, and that's what you got. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress... I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep waters, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols... Turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Can you say vomit in church? Lord, bless this word today. Lord, let it speak to our hearts. Bring life. Edify us. Comfort us. Encourage us. Lord, rebuke us if need be. We are open to be searched by your word. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Be seated this morning. As we look through this text, let me just catch some of you up to speed. Maybe here last Sunday and you... Probably haven't read the story of Jonah in a while. But last Sunday, Jonah was running in a direction. 
And the direction was away from God. He was running away from the Lord. In fact, when you begin reading the book of Jonah, the very first verse says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what we said last Sunday was this. Everything in this book is in response to that verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. But rather than heeding the word and receiving the word and responding to the word, the Bible says he ran in the other direction. And so really chapter one is not about Jonah and the whale. It's about Jonah and the will. It was his own decision to do what he wanted to do instead of submit to what God had called him to. And it was really less about a confrontation with a whale and more about a confrontation with the word. God had spoken a word to Jonah. Clearly, the word of the Lord came to him. And the word of the Lord comes to us again this morning. Jonah thought he knew what was best. The Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 1 that Jonah ran the other way. He, he heard God's word and he ran the other way and he headed for Tarshish. And we ended last Sunday with a simple question. The question was this. What's your Tarshish? Because for Jonah, it was this place where he could get to. Where he could find peace. Where he could find security. Where he could rest. Where he could enjoy life outside of the presence of God. And what you need to understand about Tarshish for you and for me doesn't exist. It's a pipe dream. It's a fantasy that's built on selfish ambition that says I can have my way outside of God's will. I can find peace. I can find safety. I can find pleasure in disobedience to the known voice of God. That's where we left Jonah. He was running from God. But the last verse of the first chapter, now the Lord provided. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that always provides? Let me just step out a little farther on this limb. Aren't you glad, and I hope you stay with me, that God doesn't always give you what you ask for, but he gives you what you need? Anybody ever ask for something really stupid before? Right? I mean, your kids do it all the time. And they think, they, I gotta have it. I got, you're thinking, trust me, you do not. You do not want that. You do not have to have that. But we do it to God too. And Jonah didn't get what he asked for, but he got what he needed. And the Bible says the Lord provided, in verse 17 of chapter 1, a great fish. Certainly wasn't a prayer request, but that's what he needed. A huge fish to swallow Jonah. So we left him last week plummeting to the depths of despair. He had run from God. A storm had, had come and... The sailors threw Jonah overboard. He's sinking into the bottom of the sea. God provides a fish to swallow Jonah. And this is where we sit for chapter 2. I can't think of a better setting for a book or for a story from the Bible than in the belly of a fish. But that's exactly where chapter 2 is written from. Now obviously, Jonah didn't write it in there. He wrote about it after his experience. But what we're going to find in chapter 2 is he he's recalling the prayers that he prayed. He's recalling the things that went through his mind, the events that took place. And and there's something I just want to mention here at the beginning because if you don't study this out and you're not really familiar with the Psalms, you might not even know this. But there's something incredible it happens in chapter 2. Almost every bit of Jonah's prayer is actually a quotation of the Psalms. 
Not one psalm, but little words and phrases from different psalms, which communicates something to us very powerful about worship. See, the first chapter was all about Jonah and the will, or Jonah and the word, but today it's really about Jonah and the word. It's about Jonah and his worship of his God. I want us to look through this story, through this chapter of this story. And if you missed last week, it's okay. You can skip the drama of running from God. Get right in with us on chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, Jonah's not running from God. He's running towards God. How many of you want to run towards God this morning? I think that would be better. Amen. We're going to run towards God with Jonah. Look at verse 1 with me again today. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Can I just talk to the students for a minute? I know we got some young folks here, some middle schoolers, maybe a couple high schoolers. Have you ever felt uh, awkward or embarrassed when you were trying to pray over your meal in school? Right? And you've been there before? Listen, can I just tell you, there's no wrong place to pray. I mean, you ought to memorize this verse if you think it's inappropriate to, play, to pray somewhere. Inside the fish, the Bible says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. There's not a wrong place or a wrong time for you to pray. In fact, the Bible says this in Isaiah 55. The Bible says this. It says, seek the Lord while he found. Call on him while he is near. Say, when should we pray? While he can be found. As long as he's near. That's when you should call on him. There is a day coming when he can't be found. I mean, the days of grace end the moment you breathe your last breath. Not everybody believes that. There's, there's some false doctrine out there that people think, you know, we can, we can pray for people that are kind of suspended in some state of purgatory and, and we can go ahead and pray for them and they can pray for themselves and, and work things out. Listen, that is not in the Bible. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. No second chances after the grave. And so, as long as the Lord is near, call upon the Lord while He is near, while He can be found. There's no wrong time to pray. There's no wrong place to pray. Thankfully, Jonah wasn't too religious to know that. He just shouted out to God from his moment he prayed from inside the fish. William Cummings was a chaplain for the United States Army. Back in the beginning of World War II, Eventually, he was captured by the Japanese when he was moving from the Philippines to Japan. And his unmarked ship was sunken. But in 1942, in Bataan, while serving American troops who were defending the Philippines, Father Cummings gave a stirring field sermon. And in that sermon, he declared these words. He said, there are no atheists in the foxholes. Have you heard that statement before? There are no atheists in the foxholes. What he meant by that was this. When your life is on the line. When you are facing the reality of your own mortality. When death feels imminent. Everyone begins to think about God in that moment. He was saying that there's no atheists in the foxholes. You can say what you believe here. But when we get out there. When the bullets are flying. There's no atheists in the foxholes. You know, it's amazing to me how many people will say they don't believe that 
that God does miracles anymore. They go, well, that was something God did in the New Testament and the Spirit fell to establish the church, but we don't need the miracle signs and wonders anymore because we have the, the perfect sign, which is the Word of God, and it'll never pass away. And so those things have passed away until they need a miracle. And then they call our church and they say, would you guys put us on your prayer list? It's happened more than you would believe. And not just because it's our church, but any church. It's amazing how many people will say they don't believe God can do something until they need him to do it. The reality is Jonah needed a miracle from God. Now, what he should have done is he should have postured himself to pray back in chapter one, verse three. Because in verse 2 it said that God had spoke to him. And God gave him a command to go and to preach to Nineveh. And he didn't, he didn't accept the command. He didn't want to receive it. It was a hard thing. Now I don't know if God's ever told you to do a hard thing before. But let me give you some advice. Don't follow in the footsteps of Jonah. What he should have done in that moment is taken the word of God and followed in the footsteps of Jesus who heard his father say, you're going to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Jesus said, that's a hard truth to hold on to. And so he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed so intensely that the Bible says he sweat great drops of blood. But he ended that prayer with these words, not my will, Father, But your will be done. The truth is sometimes God gives us hard tasks. And Jonah should have postured himself in chapter 1 and verse 3 to say, God, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to press through and pray until it does make sense because I want to submit to your will. But that's not what verse 3 says. Instead, verse 3 says that he ran away. And because Jonah ran away, In God's grace, God had to put him in a place where he could understand his own desperation for God. Can I just say this morning that God loves you that much? God loves you so much that he's willing to put you in a place. He's willing to put you in a situation where you come to the revelation and understanding that you are desperate for God. He loves you enough that he's willing to do that. So we see Jonah moving in in different directions. And as we move through this story, every chapter he's running in a different direction. But here's what I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to see all of Jonah's activity and miss the activity of the main character of this story. Because it's really not about Jonah. This story is about the mercy of God. Because while Jonah's running in every other direction, God is pursuing with his mercy. He's pursuing Jonah. Who's running from God. He pursues the sailors who are rocking on the ship in the Mediterranean Sea. He's pursuing the Ninevites whose hearts are hardened. God is a God who pursues. And that's what this story is really all about. I just want to tell you this morning. God loves you enough that he will put you in a circumstance where you understand your need for him. He uses foxholes. He uses fish guts. He uses whatever is necessary to wake us up. And make us realize our only hope is in Him. He uses a fish to arrest Jonah's attention. Look at the second verse. Now he's inside the fish. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. 
and you listened. Right. Jonah called out in distress. He was distressed when he called on God. In verse 7, he said these words. He said, my life was ebbing away. I, I don't know if we don't get a full picture of what was happening, but I would imagine as, as Jonah's inside the belly of this fish and he's, he's uh, wrapped up in, in sea vegetation and, and probably other, other things that have been swallowed up and it's hot in there and there's, uh, there's stomach acids, uh, irritating his skin. He's probably moving in and out of consciousness in that moment. And he said, my life was ebbing away. Let me just ask you, ask yourself this question. What circumstance is it going to require before you begin to really call on the Lord? I don't mean to sing the songs that we sing or to say amen while other people call on God. I mean to really get desperate for God, to really call on God. What circumstance would it require for that in your life? For Jonah, it had, it had to get bad. I mean, he has to be the patron saint of procrastination. <laughs> I mean, he's like, my life is ebbing away. I'm blah, 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 like the last, last air in his body. Help! You know, he calls out to God. Don't wait so long. But what circumstance does it require for you to really call on God? I love this verse in Jeremiah chapter 33 and Verse 3, it says, call on me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I heard one old timer at the church said, you know what we used to dial before they had 911? I said, no, I don't know. They said, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call on the Lord and I'll show you great and mighty things that you do not know. You can call on God. And can I just say this about God? Because sometimes we, we, we get a... a twisted picture of of him he is not motivated by your distress he's motivated by your call it doesn't have to be the last breath in your body it doesn't have to be while your life is ebbing away now for some of us we're we're thick-headed and we're slow learners and it has to come to that but god will respond to those who call upon his name amen call upon me and i will show you great and mighty things that you do not know All you have to do is call. Call on him. Look at the next verse. Verse 3 says, Jonah tells us, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and your breakers, they swept over me. Now, we looked last week at at a verse in chapter 1 that says, Jonah said, The Lord sent the wind. And here in chapter 2, we see a similar verse. This is another picture of, of the sovereignty of God. That Jonah is describing the situation that he's in. And he's not looking at it saying, Lord, everything's fallen to pieces. My, my life's wrecked. Everything's out. I need you to rescue me. In, even in the worst situation you could possibly imagine, Jonah recognizes something. God is still in control. You ought to just tell somebody that this morning that maybe needs to be reminded. God is in control. Come on, that, that was an actual invitation for you to participate in the sermon right there. Look at somebody this morning and tell them God is in control. You guys get too quiet, you make me nervous. So I, I got to come up with some ways for you to get involved. If you won't say amen, I'll get you to say something. Stick with amen, it's a lot easier. Reality is, 
God is in control. And Jonah looks at this scenario and he says, by the way, this is worship. This is a prayer. It's going to get good in a moment. But right now it's just being honest. And can I tell you, that is an important criteria for your worship. Honesty. Honesty. God can handle it. A lot of people think that, you know, all, all God wants to hear is flowery words. You know, God just wants to hear, you know, metaphors and similes about creation and the rocks and the stars and, you know, pretty melody lines. Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. They're, they're about men who are pouring out their hearts to God, their anguish, their, their sorrow, their sadness, their defeat, but also their joys, their victories, their triumphs. It's about honesty with God. And that's what we get out of Jonah in this moment. He says, you hurled me into the depths. You hurled me into the depths. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Here's the theology of Jonah. God will cause temporary pain in exchange for eternal change. That's the same theology that you ought to apply to your life. Rather than getting mad at the circumstances, rather than getting upset at God for for what happened and, and just turning your back on Him and running the other direction, don't do that. Don't make that mistake. Recognize that God is in control. Hold on to His promises in the midst of not seeing any evidence that it's going well. Hold on to God's promise that He works all things together. Romans 8.28 says... All things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Just believe in your heart that God is going to work this for my good. God is willing to cause temporary pain for eternal change. If you don't think that makes sense, just think about your own family. You apply that same principle with your kids, don't you? I mean, unless there's something wrong with you, nobody enjoys punishing their kids. If you do, let's set up a counseling meeting this week. Nobody enjoys punishing their kids. Nobody wants to discipline their sons or daughters. But you're willing, willing to cause temporary foresight than they do you're looking down the road a little farther there you know that hey this is in the end it's better for you that i don't let you get away with that you're going to make a better young man a better young lady you're going to make a a a better adult you're going to make a, a a better husband or a better wife you need to learn these things right now you will obey these rules and you will suffer the consequences if you don't why because we're more committed to what they're going to become than we are in their appreciating us right now. Anybody ever been unappreciated by your kids before? Come on, if your hand's not up, you're not doing it right. There's moments, right, where we're unappreciated by our kids. But if you do it right, they'll love you when they're older. And that's what, what God's willing to do with us sometimes. He's not looking for opportunities to punish you. He's not looking for opportunities to make your life miserable or, or to put so much restriction and, and regulation on you that, that you live every day in bondage. That, that's not God's heart. That's religion. God wants to bring you freedom. God wants to bring you liberty, but he wants, to, he wants to lead you to the best you. And so sometimes he will allow temporary pain if it'll bring eternal change. Look at verse 4. Jonah said, 
I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, if you just read that at face value, why would, why would Jonah say, I'm going to look again to your holy temple if he truly believes that, that God has banished him from his sight? Well, the next couple of verses explain verse 4. He said, Lord, you've banished me from your sight. And here's a faith statement. I mean, he's in a fish. This is a faith statement. But I will look again toward your holy temple. And this is the reason this is worship. Because Jonah recognizes that God sent the fish. That he, he was about to die. He knows he deserved to die. But God has rescued him. And though he's not out of the woods yet. And though everything uh, is not a bed of roses yet. He can see the hand of God in the midst of it. And he says, God, you banished me. But yet I will look again towards your temple. Look at the next couple verses with me. He says in verse 5, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. Let's just stop right there for a moment. Jonah said, I sank down. And I noticed the pattern as I was reading through uh, the story of Jonah and reading through the text. In the original language, this word is repeatedly recorded of Jonah going down. Back in chapter 1, it starts in verse 3. It says, he goes down to Joppa. And then from there it says, he goes down into the hull of the ship. And then he goes down below the deck. And then here he is in chapter 2 and verse 6. Sinking down again into the very depths of death itself. And as I saw that, I want to tell you, it's not really to chart a geographical course of where Jonah's headed. It's more to indicate to us the spiritual trajectory of his life. The direction that he was heading was down, down, down. And can I tell you, if you're running from God, there's only one way you're going, and it's down. He's moving farther and farther away from God. And now in chapter 2, he recognizes it. And he says, here's what was happening in my life. I was going down to the very roots of the mountain. I was sinking beneath the earth. Don't live your life in disobedience to God. The Bible says this in Numbers chapter 32. And this is a sober warning that, that Moses gave to some of the Israelites. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23 he said but if you fail to do this talking about the commands that he had given them he said if you fail to do this you will be sinning against the lord and hear this part he said and you may be sure of this that your sins will find you out i don't believe we serve a god who who throws out threats I just don't believe that's consistent with the character of God. I believe if God tells us there's the potential for danger, that means there's the potential for danger. If the Bible says to us in the book of Hebrews, be careful lest you fall away, I just have to believe that it's possible that we could fall away. Anybody with me on that? There's some people that don't believe that. They just believe that, hey, if you're saved, if you pray to prayer, you ask Jesus into your heart, then unconditionally you are sealed and secured and there's nothing you could do. And, and, and they would just, they would believe that. But I don't believe that God throws out idle threats. The Bible says you can be sure of this. Your sins will find you out. 
The Bible tells us about Moses in the book of Romans, I believe it says that Moses chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That means that sin is pleasurable for a season because Moses chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And the reality is some of you might be living in that season. You're living in sin and it's pleasurable and you're going, you know what? There's no consequences to my actions. It it was just scare tactics. It was false alarm. You go to the church and you hear people talk about the wages of sin. There's no wages. Man, I've been getting away with this for years. But be sure of this. Numbers 32. Your sins will find you out. I've said this a number of times before, but I'll say it again. Satan reserves the right to use your sins against you at his most opportune time. It's the way he works. Because he's not out to give you a migraine. He's not out to mess up your weekend. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life and generations to follow you. So he reserves the right to use your sin against you at his most opportune time. Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe, just maybe, he's so conniving, he's so keen, that he lets you get away with it just to stack the deck against you? You know, like a, like a pool shark, just letting you win till all your money's on the table. Ever been played before? That's Satan's M.O. Not to wreck your weekend, not to give you a headache, to use your sins against you at his most opportune time. So Jonah's going down, as is everyone else who thinks they can find peace and hope and fulfillment living in disobedience to the will of God. But here's the good news. Jonah's heading down fast, but God's grace is moving faster. Here's the good news for us today. God's grace can reach farther than you can fall. Let me say that again. God's grace can reach farther than you can fall. Who would have thought in this moment that Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the ocean that God would send a a whale or, or some giant shark or some kind of a fish on a migratory pattern to snatch him up in that moment, to swallow him up in life just before he breathes His last breath. He's going down, but God's grace is moving faster. David gave us a psalm that illustrates this moment in Jonah's life. He said in Psalm chapter 40 and verse 1, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. Now that that verse takes on whole new meaning when you look at Jonah's life, that he lifted me out of the slimy pit. I mean, he said, my head was wrapped in seaweed. You know, I was sinking to the bottom of the ocean. He's in a slimy pit, but God reached down and rescued him. He lifted him up out of it. Look at verse 7 with me again. It says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Again, I just want to pose the question differently this morning. When will you remember the Lord in your situation, in your circumstance? He said, my life was ebbing away, and I remembered the Lord. Can I just tell you this morning, I I believe in deathbed confessions. I, I believe in jailhouse religion. Because Jesus did. 
The Bible tells us that there was a man who was being rightly punished for his crimes, hanging on a cross next to Jesus. And with his dying breath, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus do in that moment? Say, well, if you make it through this and you go out and you do some community service and you go through a a church 101 class and you get on the membership and you get baptized, then yeah, I'll consider it. No, no, he said this day you will be with me in paradise. So I, I'm all for, I'm all for deathbed confessions. I, I cherish the moments when I get the call that someone says, listen, I have a loved one who said they want to a pastor. They're very sick. I don't cherish the moment because of their illness, but I cherish it because I know that God loves them in his grace enough to swallow them up in circumstances to where for maybe the first time in their whole life, They've actually lifted their eyes in desperation to God. It was their foxhole moment. It was their fish gut moment. And whether it was cancer or whether it was something else, in that moment for the first time, yes, it looks tragic on the outside. Yes, we may be planning a funeral in a few days, but an eternal soul has been snatched from the fires of hell and sent into the kingdom of God. Amen. Now... You can scratch your head at that and say, why does God allow cancer? Because we live in a fallen world. But I can look at it and say, God is in control. God is Lord, even over the circumstances. God is the ruler and the authority of life. And he will have... Jonah, his life was ebbing away. It was fading fast and, and he called on God. He called on God. Maybe, maybe it's not your circumstance that is, that is putting you in that desperate situation. But I just want to pause here to encourage the saints of God. Because maybe you know someone in that circumstance. And if you've ever felt that nudge before. Maybe as you sat with a loved one that was sick. Or, or someone who, who just felt like you know, their life was falling to pieces. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to be a vessel for God to use in that moment? Don't hold back. You, you've maybe felt moment before and i can promise you i've been there and you do not want to have the feeling that i've felt when i walked away from opportunities that god gave me to speak and i didn't i mean really when it comes down to risking what your reputation maybe saying the wrong thing at the wrong time who cares we're talking about eternity we're talking about souls let god use you in that moment because for some people it takes a moment that serious before they'll ever call on God. And their first time may be their last chance. We're blessed. As I look around this room, I see people that have heard the gospel a hundred times, a thousand times, all of your life, some of you. And there are some people that have never, never heard the gospel. They've never listened. They've never even opened their eyes or their ears to receive that message. You might be the only preacher that they ever meet. In one moment of desperation, one foxhole moment where their life is ebbing away. They're going, what do I do? do? What What do I do? Tell them. Tell them. Tell them what God's done for you. God wants to speak to people in every circumstance. But he doesn't want for it to get to a moment of desperation. That's not his plan for your life. He's got a better plan than that. 
In fact, Solomon's words. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, he said, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now, we don't like to think about that, but he's very candid in saying that there's going to come a day when maybe at the end of your life, you might actually say, like he did, I find no pleasure in my days. But the admonition is don't wait. Don't wait until the circumstances are dire. Call upon God now. Surrender your heart and your life to Him now while you, while you have your youth. And then jo- Jonah takes and, and he turns a corner here in the next couple verses. He says in verse 8, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. In other words, another translation, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When you cling to worthless idols, he says you forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. Who was he talking about in that moment? He could have been talking about the sailors. Because just a few moments earlier, they were all calling on their gods. They were saying, you know... Dagon, save us. Baal, save us. They were calling on all these gods. And they finally woke up Jonah and they said, you call on your God. He could have been talking about them. It's possible. But if he was, he was behind in the story. Because if you remember from last week that by the time that Jonah's praying this prayer, after they threw him overboard, the Bible says the sea became calm. They were so aware in that moment of God's presence that the God that Jonah had declared to them was the living God, the God of the sea and the God of the land. The Bible says that they began to worship God and they began to make vows to God. So if Jonah was talking about them saying those guys up there who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love, then he was already behind in the story because they had already turned to the love of God. It's possible also that he was talking about himself. That Jonah, he, though he didn't worship pagan idols, he didn't go after false gods, he had made a false god out of Tarshish. He made a false god out of this idea that he could, he could have success and peace and he could have satisfaction outside of the will of God. The Bible says anything that we place before God is an idol. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus said when when Satan came to tempt him in Matthew chapter 4. And he said, if you'll just bow down to me and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus looked at the devil in that moment of temptation. And he said, the Bible says, do not tempt the Lord your God. The Bible says, he told him, he told him what the scripture says. Worship the Lord God and serve him only. Anything or anyone that we place above our surrender to God becomes an idol. As you see in chapter 3 and 4, another idol that Jonah had made was his own nation. He had such national pride that he could not conceive the idea of God saving the Ninevites. And so he had become so idolistic in his patriotism. It was all about us and no one else. That he had begun to limit the grace of God. He believed that God's grace and mercy was only for them and and for no one else. I just want to tell you this morning, it's not enough 
to say, I want Jesus. Here's what he said. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. There's a lot of people who want God's love. And so they reach out and they say, I want God's love. I want Jesus. But you only have one set of hands and one heart to cling with. And it's not enough to just say, I want God. Just add him to the buffet. I want God and everything else. You have to let go of the idols in your heart. You have to let go of the things that are, are trying to possess your heart and your attention. It's not enough to just say, I want God. And so Jonah, in this moment of, of worship to God, as he's come to his senses, he says, those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love. They, they forfeit God's love. But here's his determination, verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. In this one verse, I just want to share with you quickly, there's there's just three things that, that Jonah did that that you have to do, that I have to do. If we're going to move from running from God to running towards God, there, there was three things that happened right here in this verse. The first one is worship. He said, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. This is a statement to contrast what we just read. Those that, that forfeit the grace of God are those that cling to idols. He said, I'm not going to cling to idols anymore. I'm going to sacrifice to you. I'm going to worship you and you only. He had a heart that said, God, I'm not going to hold on to anything else. I'm not going to hold on to my nationalistic pride. I'm not going to hold on to my own desires and dreams for a life outside of your will. I'm not going to hold on to anything else. I'm going to worship you and you only. I'm not going to cling to those things anymore. The second thing was willingness. There was worship and there was willingness. He said, I will fulfill my vows. He made up his mind. I'm going to fulfill my vows. What were the vows? The vows that Jonah had made was to, to speak for God, to be a prophet, to, to not be a judge, but to be a prophet, to say, I'm not going to decide uh, what God says. I'm going to speak what God says. Not to judge people, but to deliver. There's a difference in deciding the word of God over someone's life and delivering the word of God into someone's life. And that's a decision that we have to make. To say, you know what? I'm making up my mind. I'm going to be willing to say what God says. There's a third thing that Jonah does. He was not only worshiping and and willing, but he was a witness. The last part of that verse, he said, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. The problem is, instead of seeing himself as a deliverer of the message, he saw himself as the judge. And he wasn't willing to deliver a message that salvation comes from the Lord to a people that he didn't want to get saved. But he's made up his mind. He's made a vow. He's let go of idolatry. And he's clinging to the Lord. And he says, I will fulfill my vow. I will be a witness. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. It's not from me. So I don't get to decide who gets it. I don't get to decide who receives salvation. There's there's two things that motivated Jonah to turn from running from God to running towards God. The first was the judgment of God. It fell on him 
in the storm. It fell on him as they threw him overboard into the waters. The consequences caused him to consider the errors of his ways. God does that for us sometimes. In fact, the Bible says this. I love this verse. Proverbs chapter 20 in verse 30. You ought to write this down. Proverbs 20 in verse 30. It says, blows and wounds scrub away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. Isn't that a great verse? You're like, not really. Probably not going to see that one on a t-shirt unless I make it. But I'm going to read it to you again. Blows and wounds scrub away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. What is that about? Saying to us that sometimes it takes a difficult situation. Sometimes it takes dealing with the consequences, the blows and the wounds that we have inflicted on us because of our choices. Evil, they purge us. It says it purifies us in our inmost being. In the New Testament, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow leaves us without regrets. It doesn't mean we enjoyed it. It means... That the end result of eternal change was worth it. That's what godly sorrow does. And it was the judgment of God that got a hold of Jonah's heart. But the second thing that motivated Jonah's repentance was the mercy of God. It was the mercy of God. He, he's repenting because he's already experienced the mercy of God. I mean, look at, look at verse 1 again. He's in a fish. He should be dead. He was sinking to the bottom of the sea and he's swallowed up by a fish and he's overwhelmed with the mercy of God. And so he begins to praise God. This whole chapter, he's quoting psalm after psalm. He's praising God even though he's still in a fish. He's far from being outside of trouble. But he has understood that he is in the mercy of God. And that's where some of you are. And today, you need to follow Jonah in moving towards the heart of God. You need to follow God, Jonah in, in beginning to worship God, to begin to praise God, to, to look at the Word or two and begin to give God thanks, begin to give God praise. You go, well, I'll praise God when it works out. Don't, don't wait for everything to work out before you give God praise. Understand that the mercy of God has got you. You might not be in the ideal situation, but you're not dead. And so Jonah recognized, you know what? This could be worse. I mean, he, he, didn't have to, he didn't have to rescue me, but he did. And even though I'm not out of the water yet, he rescued me. And so I have confidence that I will once again pray towards the temple. I will make this vow. I will worship God. I will say that salvation comes from the Lord. Who are you going to say it to? Bunch of plank tie? No, this is a faith statement. He says, I am coming up out of this situation and I'm coming out with praise on my lips. And some of you need to make the same kind of vow. So you know what? This is not where I want to be. Things are not going the way I want them to go. But I recognize the mercy of God. And he didn't forsake me. He didn't abandon me. So I'm going to make up my mind today to, to be a person of praise. And Jonah absolutely turns a corner and begins to worship God 
And his worship brings about his deliverance. The last verse. We'll read it again. In this chapter says, and the Lord, verse 10, commanded the fish. You know, a couple weeks ago, we were on a fishing trip. And I was doing my morning devotion. And I got to that verse, the Lord commanded the fish. I said, hallelujah. The Bible says you can speak to the mountain and it shall be moved. And I read the Lord commanded the fish. And I thought, I'm taking my authority right now. I'm commanding the fish. And our, 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 our guide, John, on the trip, he's just very calm. I told the guys that. I was excited. I said, hey, the Bible says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish. And Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to me. And he sent us out in his name. So I'm commanding the fish today. And John said, well, you still have to do your part. <laughs> okay. You're right, John. I still got to do my part. And you know what? It's true for us. God has all authority. There's nothing he can't use. But God commanded that fish. And the Bible says, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Listen, that's probably not the way that he wanted to get where he was going. But he got there. He got there. By the grace of God, he got there. And maybe you wouldn't write the story. Maybe you can still smell the past. You wouldn't have written it the way that it played out. But you know what? You got there. And you got to get there through worship. To make up your mind that I have been swallowed up in the mercy of God. That he loved me enough not to leave me. That though I fell, grace dove deeper. And God rescued me. And I'm going to be a person of praise. Would you stand to your feet today? Come on, let's give God praise. Father, we worship you today. God, we give you praise because you saved us. Because we can say like David said in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the miry pit. He set my foot on a firm foundation. God, I thank you that your grace dives deep into our circumstance and rescues us. You rescue us, God. And today, Lord, we're not going to wait until everything pans out. Until everything becomes the perfect scenario, God, we're going to see with eyes of faith the mercy of God that has grabbed us and we're going to turn to a people of praise. God, we want to lift our voices to you by faith. And Lord, we want to say, as Jonah said, I will declare salvation comes from the Lord. I will fulfill my vow. I will be a person of worship. 